In making those decisions and following through on them, we get to find out more information and reach a better place in ourselves. And that's really the purpose of decision-making. Uh, when we hang out in ambivalence endlessly, we are giving mixed messages to our partner. Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship, and I'm your host, Rich Heller, and we have been talking for the last few weeks about marital ambivalence. And why have we been talking about it the last few weeks? Because I don't know if you know this, but January and February are technically called, this is really cynical, divorce season by matrimonial attorneys. And the reason is that all that marital ambivalence comes to a head during the holidays, right? And you've probably noticed we've got some guest speakers on how to manage the holidays right now because we want to help you through this ambivalence. But the punchline is this episode. So we talked about peeling back the layers, the roots of ambivalence. We talked about blame. We talked about the source of marital ambivalence. We talked about feeling like you're stuck in the middle uh, and you can't make a decision. We talked about the legal costs of divorce, and we've talked about pretty much every aspect of marital ambivalence that you can think of. And now we're going to talk about how to move through that ambivalence, and that's called the path to certainty. We're going to move beyond ambivalence to what decision, right? And I know that sounds kind of quaint, right? Oh, and we're just going to make a decision, and it's all going to be better. Well, we're going to talk about how that works. We're going to talk about what's the source of ambivalence again, how to make that decision-making process, and what to do if you feel like you made a bad decision, right? Sometimes we make decisions and we follow through on them, and the result is not as pleasant as we had hoped, and we need to re-decide, and that's fully possible, right? Like we all want to, well, I don't know about we all. I'll speak for myself. Kind of my thing is I want every decision to be perfect and I only want to make them once. I don't want to get to the other side of a decision and go, wait, what? This didn't work, right? But the reality is sometimes when we make decisions, we don't have all the information or we're not in the best place we could be in ourselves. And we need to make that decision to get the information and to be in that place. And so I think what I'm telling myself and maybe anyone else who has this going on is we make the best decision we can for who we are with the information we have and the strategies that we have. And in making those decisions and following through on them, we get to find out more information and reach a better place in ourselves. And that's really the purpose of decision-making. And it's also why we don't want to hang out in ambivalence endlessly. Uh, when we hang out in ambivalence, ambivalence, emotional ambivalence endlessly, we are giving mixed messages to our partner. We're giving mixed messages to our children. And most confusing, we're giving mixed messages to ourselves, right? What does that mean? that we're giving mixed messages to ourselves? Well, you've probably heard on this podcast before, we are at least 80% of us is unconscious mind. Uh, uh, let me roll that back. 
who we are is not this body. We inhabit this body. And the interface between who we are and this body is our mind, right? The mind is like the operating system. Uh, the reason why we talk, I'm talking about the unconscious mind like I would a computer is we created computers as a reflection of our minds. Yeah, because we create everything as a mirror for what's happening for us. So our 80% of our mind, the operating system, that's the interface between who we are, this body, and what the body experiences, what the body's taking in, the world, our relationships, our work, everything that this body takes in, our experiences, the mind is the interface. And 80% of it is the operating system, right? And why is that? Because, first of all, there's so much information coming in from the outside, way more, millions of bits of information, way more than our mind or our brain really is what we're talking about, than our brain, which is the hardware of the, can, can process, right? Our brain just doesn't have the RAM it needs uh, to go back to a computer metaphor. It just doesn't have the usable memory to process all that information. And so our mind functions first and foremost as a filter. It allows in only so much information. And how we what information we allow in and how we interpret it has to do with the way that unconscious mind, 80% of who we are, is set up. And that unconscious mind is what keeps our heart beating. That unconscious mind is what makes the blood flow. Our unconscious mind is what, when we're driving, makes those rapid decisions that we, we don't even think of. All of a sudden, we hit the brakes and we realize, what? Oh, we were daydreaming and the guy in front of us hit the brakes and... We hit them too. We come out of our daydream, bam, right into that moment. It's because the operating system is saying, hey, get back in the moment, right? The operating system is, we train it. The way we learn anything from the time that we're born to the time that we die and leave this plane is first, we consciously identify something that we need to learn. Second, we make a decision that we're going to learn it. Third, in making that decision, we begin to explore what are the pieces, the components that we need to learn. Fourth, we learn to do that thing so that we are consciously competent. Fifth, as we become more consciously competent, our unconscious mind starts to incorporate that conscious competence internally. And so first we become unconsciously incompetent, like when we were first learning to drive a car, we were really scared and afraid and terrible at it. But over time, we became unconsciously competent. So when we first started driving cars, I don't know about you, but me, my conscious mind was in there trying to run everything. But today, my unconscious mind pretty much runs everything. Pretty much. All right. But honestly, the difference between good driving and bad driving is how present are we in the moment. And that's a whole other podcast. All right. So. When we're experiencing ambivalence, there's one of two things happening, all right? Either our own, there's a conflict of values within our unconscious mind, or our conscious mind is in conflict with our unconscious mind. Or, or it could be both, all right? It might be th three things. Um, or there might be, let's add another one. There might be a conflict of beliefs, right? We have these beliefs 
that are, or decisions, let's be better than beliefs. We have decisions we've made about life that might be in conflict with each other. And so how does it show up in our marriage or in our relationship? That shows up as, I did made a decision to marry this person, this wonderful, amazing person. And then after a while, they didn't show up the way they did when we were dating. They didn't show up the way that they did when we were loved. In fact, I don't even like the way they're showing up. And so I make another decision. You are showing up in a way that I don't like, and you're someone I don't like. And so we have two conflicting decisions. There's the decision that I'm going to commit my life to this person. And there's the decision that who they're being at the moment is someone I really don't want to be around. And that is the source of the ambivalence. Or another way to put it might be, there's the decision that I'm going to spend my life with this person. And there's the decision that I really don't like how they're showing up. And that part of me that doesn't want to be around people that I feel are toxic to me in some way or not supportive of me in some way is in conflict with that part of me that has a high value around family and commitment. I made a commitment as part of a family, right? Those are, that's what ambivalence is about. It's about those conflicts of values, conflicts of beliefs, conflicts of expectation and experience, right? We have an expectation that we're going to go into the holidays and it's going to be woo, off the hook awesome. And we get there and it's our freaking family, right? It's my brother who I have unresolved issues with or my mom who can't stop trying to whatever, control me or my dad who, uh, you know, who um, can't quite tell the truth or whatever it is, whatever you have going on, that's what, you know, there's this conflict between the hope and the expectation of awesome and reality. And they're going, by the way, they're all going through the same thing. So this is the roots of ambivalence. And it's really important that we understand that so that we understand why decision-making is so important. Now, there are two ways to approach this. One would be we could explore the ambivalence. In fact, in order to make the decision, the decision we should explore the ambivalence. And we can make a decision based on our exploration of the ambivalence. We might decide, even though the way he, she is showing up is un- or they are showing up is unpleasant, I value the, my commitment to relationship. I'm going to tough it out. We might make a decision within that ambivalence. Or the other way to go at this is we can actually release the source of the ambivalence. Yeah, that's right. If we're triggered frequently in the presence of our partner, we can release the source of the trigger and make a better decision, right? Releasing the source. By the way, eliminating the ambivalence does not necessarily mean that you're going to be all in your marriage. It might mean that you're all out at the end of it. But when we release old emotions or old decisions that we've made, and get to what is it that we really want, need, and value, we can then make an unambivalent and clear decision. So my recommended path for most people is before you make a decision, let's look at the source of the ambivalence. Let's look at the old emotions and old decisions that are getting in the way of the experience that you're having. Or let's look at how the experience that you're having is in conflict with them. And let's release work. Why? 
do I recommend that? Well, I've probably said this before, but I'm going to say it again. If we want to change our lives, if we accept that we are the creators of our lives, that doesn't mean that we control everything outside of ourselves, but we do control, remember, there's millions of bits coming at us and we're only filtering in what, what we allow in. If we want to change those filters so that we see and experience reality differently, if we want to change our experience and therefore what we feel and what we do and what we have, if we want that, the first thing we need to do to have change is let go of old emotions and decisions that no longer work for us. If we don't, we're always going to experience reality through those filters. I'll give you an example. I'm going to talk a lot about my first marriage and second marriage today. Uh, some of you have heard it before. Forgive me if I'm redundant. In my first marriage, I felt that my partner was not showing up adequately for me or the children. Now, I'm not sure what the reality is, right? That was my experience. Um, I felt she was financially irresponsible and I felt she wasn't giving enough to me or them. And so I left her. And I thought, I've solved this problem. I made a decision, right? I'm done with the ambivalence. I left her. And I picked another, my next wife, my current wife and final wife, might I add. That's a whole podcast episode in itself. Because she was good at showing up for the children, good at showing up for me and good with money and all the things that my first wife didn't seem to be. And yet, I still had marital conflict and I still walked into a place of marital ambivalence after a number of years with my current wife. And the reason was that I hadn't changed my filters. I hadn't changed my old emotions. I hadn't released them. I hadn't let go of my decision-making process. And lo and behold, she started to show up as irresponsible with money to me. She started to show up as not being emotionally present for me. She was emotionally present for the children, but she wasn't emotionally present for my children is what I thought at the time. And so after a number of years, even though I picked a woman who was completely different, had a completely different background, uh, I started to feel like I was in the same marriage. And I realized that the person who might be the source of this experience was me. And so I started to exercise the first step of transformation, which is letting go of the old emotions and the old decisions. I did that working with coaches. I got help with that. And I made a decision from that place that I was going to stay in this marriage and that I was going to transform myself into the best partner I could possibly be no matter who she was or how she showed up. And things got better. They weren't perfect, but things got better. And as long as I stay on the path of personal transformation, the marriage imp magically improves and she changes as well. And some of that has to do with uh, the way that I interact with her changes. So I trigger her less. I'm less reactive. I'm more proactive because I've made a decision. I'm more proactive. And so I'm literally sometimes pulling her down the road of marriage with me 
And she always has the option to step out, right? But I keep you know, moving down the road. And so she has to choose again and again. Oh, he's shifted again. Uh, am I going to be with him or am I going to step out? And, you know, consistently she's chosen to stay in because she likes the way I'm changing, right? And that's how that works. People ask me, why would I do this? If they're so messed up, you wouldn't do it. If they're so messed up, you do it because you want to be better. You would do it because you want to see what their decision is going to be. And I want you to know that I've worked with couples who have been in the same place that I was in and one of them has chosen to change and the other one said, nah, I don't like this new improved you. I'm out, right? Some people don't want to move down the road with you. But the first part is to make that decision. And the cleanest place to make that decision from is by looking at releasing those old emotions and those decisions that don't work for you. Oh, by the way, the next steps are once you let go of that stuff, you create a strategy, right? That's what I was talking about. I create, I made a, dis- a decision, let go of the old emotions, let go of the d- old decisions, and I created a strategy for growing my marriage, where and the strategy had to do with a certain level of communication. The strategy had to do with being empathetic, which is not was not one of my strengths at the time, has become one of my strengths today. Uh, had to do with building trust. It had to do with growing intimacy. It had to do for, with asking for what I want. Um, it had to do with calling out my feelings in a way that was personally responsible and made her feel safer, not more at risk. And all, all of those were strategies that came out of that decision. And then when the unexpected came up, I needed to adjust my strategy and I got help with that. Right? Those are, that's the four prerequisites for change. Let go of the old stuff create a strategy, take action, right? And when the unexpected comes up, shift your strategy to deal with the things you didn't anticipate. Now, the other way to make a decision is to, I want you to hear this, force the square peg through the round hole. I want you to know I am the master of this. All right, sometimes we are feeling ambivalent and we want to make a decision about what to do And we got locked up in feeling inadequate. We get locked up in not trusting ourselves. uh, And we think, all right, I'm just going to make it. You know what? I believe that marriage is holy and sacred and God wants me to be in this marriage. And so I'm going to stay in it. But we don't, we make a decision from this place of, I believe and our emotions and the experience that we're having of the other person don't keep up with that decision. It is possible from that place for things to change. Uh, and we're going to talk about how. But I don't. what I don't love about it is when the old stuff is in the way, it's very hard to experience our partner differently, even though we've made a decision to be in it. So let me share more about the story of my first divorce with you. I remember when I was five years into the marriage, I was really clear it wasn't working. And I asked for a divorce and she fought it and fought it and fought it. And I thought I was doing what was best for the kids. And one day I was really wrung out. Um, I was physically ill. I was in taking a hot bath. And I remember just going, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do what my parents did. I'm not going to put my kids through this. Somehow, 
she and I will work this out. I remember that moment so clearly. I just kind of surrendered to my belief in this, in how, in the sanctity of marriage. I wasn't particularly religious at the time. Um, so, you know, it wasn't about what my higher power wanted for me. It was more about, uh, you know, I, I have this value of marriage uh, and I, and that I wasn't going to put my kids through what I went through as a kid. And it was a disaster. I spent another five years in that marriage and I was the same, pardon my language, I was the same asshole to her for the next five years. There was no opening for her to change because I was always criticizing her. I was always trying to fix her. I was always trying to make her better instead of working on myself. And so at 10 years, I actually did get divorced and told, you know, had the experience that I shared with you of getting remarried. Now, my current marriage is awesome. It's off the hook. And I've worked, I've worked for that. All right, but had I had this tool, it might have played out differently. So there is this tool called the five-second rule. Uh, I'd give credit to Mel Robbins for coming with this, but it comes out of psychology. And basically, the five-second rule is when we make a decision and old emotions start to get in the way of our acting on that decision, we count down five, four, three, two, one. And the decision is we're going to shift at one from the old to the new. It's basically a way to move ourselves through tough portions of our lives. It's like a resilience tool is probably the best way to put it. So Mel talks about how she was really depressed and couldn't get out of bed and use the five-second rule. One day she made a decision she was going to get out of bed. She used the five-second rule to get out of bed. The alarm went off and she was going to reach over and hit snooze. And instead she went five, four, three, two, one, and popped out of bed. Now, there was a big part of her that was like hit the snooze button, but she popped out of bed because she'd made a decision. There's a whole branch of psychology that maintains that if we act as if uh, we want something, eventually we're going to actually want it. She acted as if she really wanted to get out of bed, even though a part of her was really invested in hitting the snooze button again and not facing up to her life. All right, so you could make a decision about your ambivalence. It's going to be something like Mel's experience. Right? You need to have an understanding of the behavior that's not you're exhibiting, that's not working in your marriage, and the behavior that you want to embrace that will work. And that's what was lacking. When I made my decision at five years, I didn't have that. And so I just kept acting the same old way. So when I started criticizing her, I didn't go, oh, this is the thing that's not working. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, that's great what you're doing. I I didn't have that tool. And in that decision that I was, it was what we call a moving away from decision. So moving away from decisions never work. Moving away from was, I'm not going to have my kids have this experience that I had. I'm going to move away from my kids having this experience that I had. That's not a real decision, by the way, or it's not a decision that'll work. Uh, Moving away decisions go like this. Let's say you're feeling like you're overweight and you want to lose some weight. And so you say, I am, I had this experience. I, at 230 pounds, or maybe I was 235, I thought, wow, I don't want to be 235. I've made a decision to not be 235. And what would happen is I'd get to around 220 or 215, and I'd be like, look at how much better this is. And I'd stop in my decision, and I'd slip back to 235, right? So basically, 
a moving away from is this is painful. I'm going to move away from the pain. And when we get far enough from the pain, we stop practicing the thing that keeps us moving away from the pain and we slip back into it. When we make a moving away from decision in our marriage, it, inevitably, it's like the weight thing. We're going to end up back where we were. We want a moving towards decision. A moving towards decision is I have this high value of marriage and what I want for my children and for myself is love. What I want is trust and safety and intimacy and prosperity and abundance and joy. Uh, and so that's the moving away, a moving toward goal. That's a moving toward goal. Instead of moving away from, I'm, uh, I'm give, causing my kids pain, I move towards, I'm creating a happy family. And then you can take this five, four, three, two, one rule and start to act as if you're that person. And you will actually begin to shift into a new mode of behavior and create create new neural pathways. Now, you will need to release the old emotion and old behavior at some point. Right? And Mel talks about this in a later book, that if you don't do that, there's always an inner ambivalence and inner conflict. But this is a great way to begin to get moving. And very often when I'm working with clients, the first thing we do is we set a moving toward a goal and then we implement some trigger management uh, and then we move to removal. All right. Let's wrap this up. This has been a long one. I apologize uh, if you got off your treadmill and you were looking to do something else and I'm still running my mail. A big part of making that decision is knowing the landscape. So I would encourage you before you make a decision to do things like pray, meditate, practice mindfulness, just like when you're driving, if you're too distracted, uh, no matter how good your operating system is, something can go wrong. I once had a very severe accident because I just wasn't paying attention and my operating system was screaming at me and I didn't hear it. That's the, like the best way to put that. Uh, because the operating system will call in the conscious mind for situations it's not consciously, unconsciously competent at handling. Um, we want to journal. Journaling is a great idea. If you don't like journaling, uh, then try prayer. If you don't like prayer, try drawing. Do something creative, some a creative expression. Uh, try walking and talking to yourself. Try walking and talking to other people. Right? These are all tools for exploring. Try exploring your own ambivalence. You want to explore your own ambivalence. There's, the, of course, the never-ending uh, making a positive, a pro and con list about something. Right, just to see where things are, that might help you make the decision. If you see the pros of one position are much greater than the cons of it, that might help you with that decision. Here's a big one. Release the fear that you might make a bad decision. We talked about this earlier. We might make a bad decision. We might make a mistake. We might make a decision like I did in my first marriage at five years, I made a decision and I didn't have any tools and I didn't have a vision and it turned out to be a bad decision. And I will add to that story, by the way, even though I framed it as I didn't change, which was true, my first wife had a diagnosis that would remain untreated for years, that there was no fixing on my part. 
And I'm not sure that it would have been good for my kids to suffer with that or myself. My kids suffered with it anyway. But they, I brought in a woman who did not have that diagnosis and could be present for them. And this made a huge difference. And so sometimes we make decisions from our highest values and they're not a fit for other values that are really important to us. Sometimes we need to make decisions and we find out later on that was not such a good decision. And that's okay because that's how we learn. It is better to make a decision, stick with it, find out it doesn't work, and make a new decision than to waffle back and forth endlessly remaining in ambivalence. So as always, I encourage you to reach out if you're not sure. If you don't feel like you have the courage for this, reach out. Rich at richinrelationship.com. Direct message me. I encourage you to share this podcast with other people. Listen to other episodes. In this series, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, maybe you're coming in on this one and you missed the previous eight or nine, just have the courage to make a decision, act on it, and have the confidence to know that if it's the wrong decision or a bad decision or a mistake, you will recognize it and you will change it. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast and click subscribe and y'all come back now.